Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. Well, as I said, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4, and so if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, and we will get started. Uh, you see, sin is a powerful force, is it not? And it seeks to keep you separated from God. That is sin's purpose in life. And so if sin can separate us, one, if we don't know the Lord, it keeps us far away from him. But even those of you here today that are believers, which are majority of us here today, sin will not separate us from God in the sense of our eternal salvation, but it will keep our fellowship with him strained. Much like if you've ever known the pain of having a family member that you don't get along with uh, for different reasons, same kind of thing happens. Sin gets into the way between us and God, and it strains that fellowship. Well, see, Genesis chapter 4 here gives us as readers a look into what's going on in life and what it's going to look like post-curse. Last week in Genesis 3, we saw where God had judged Adam and Eve for disobeying him. And we all know about the, the fruit and the garden and the serpent and the curse. We've talked about that. And the thing is, is that God's creation no longer wants to work as God created it to work. So now we have to experience living a life that is not designed as our creator designed it. You see, sin began in the garden but we still have to deal with it today. In Genesis chapter 4, we uncover some critical moments in our history showcasing the devastating impact of sin on humanity and initially in the garden, but it moved on out into the families as well. You see, the fateful decision to eat the forbidden fruit resulted in a turning point. During our ancestors' mistake of Adam and Eve, you see, we all came from Adam and Eve, right? We were expelled from the glorious Garden of Eden. We were kicked out of the Garden of Eden until one day we hoped to return. For those that know Jesus Christ, we will return to that new paradise that God is going to create. But I want you to, I don't want to undersell the fact that the consequences of sin are still impacting us to this day. Just to kind of give you a quick recap, uh, there are five effects of the fall in Genesis 3. Uh, A man named Simon Turpin wrote this on his blog, and I'm just going to kind of share it in my own words. He says, number one, because of the fall, we are not right with God. We are no longer righteous. Number two, we are separated from God. We no longer walk in the garden with him. We have been cast out of that garden. So we are not right with God. We are separated from God and we are cursed. Yes, that means that no longer does God just provide for us. We have to work for a living. We have to scrape and we have to survive to get by. And not only are we cursed, we die. If you've ever experienced a death, of a loved one and a family member, you have Genesis 3 to thank for that. Because before that, there was no death. And then we are no longer innocents, folks. Our innocence is lost, and we need covering. We all know that once Adam and Eve sinned and they realized, oh my goodness, we're naked. I mean, that had to have been a revelation, don't you think? It probably been kind of comical. But it wasn't because they were perfect as they are, But then when they ate from the tree of knowledge, they realized 
that they had shame. And that's what was a result of the fall. So we're not right with God. We are separated from God. We are cursed. We die. And we are no longer innocent. That's one thing I love about uh, seeing a, a, a newborn baby, even a young baby, one, two years old. Well, I know two. I, I hear that two, they go crazy. Is that right? Well, we'll just say one year old. Uh, what, what is every baby born with that, that we lose over time? Innocence. When the baby is first born, that baby is so innocent. And it's up to the parents and the families to teach that child and how it should be raised. All that innocence, it seems like every day, sin strips us of that innocence, doesn't it? Well, let's get into chapter 4. The first thing that we see is that Cain and Abel gave proof to the struggle of the curse. In other words, the curse didn't stop in Genesis 3. It continued after Genesis 3. It says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Now Adam, or some translations say the man, Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife. Those of you in the King James and some others, it says he knew her. It didn't mean that, hey, I know you, you know me. No, it meant they had sexual relations and Eve became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. So that's got to be pretty amazing that she knew Adam. I mean, when she first was first created, she saw Adam. And now all of a sudden what she saw in Adam, she now saw coming out of her body that had to be. Can you imagine what the first childbirth was like? That had to be weird. And uh, I, I am not going to even attempt to say I know what it's like. The closest I've had is a kidney stone. And in my book, that's the same, right? No, it's not. But it says that uh, later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And they grew up. Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. So Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. Now, Instead of enjoying God's provision over all their needs in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve decided to rebel. They said they know better. They said that God didn't give them what they wanted. So they thought because they were tempted by this serpent that there may be more that God hasn't told them. And so they went out on their own. And that's why we are here today. But, folks, your sinful choices impact your family deeply. Let me say this again. Your sinful choices impact your family deeply. Now, it was a long-held tradition in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, that if your father or mother did something heinous, then your family was cursed by that. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you are raised in a family that has an addiction, that has an anger problem, that has issues, it influences you to, A, be just like them, or B, be nothing like them. But it is an influence. You know here, what, no matter how old you are, you know that you are influenced by those that came before you. And so Cain and Abel were influenced by the sin of their father and mother. While families are meant to be a source of learning and growth. I mean, God created it that way. God created us to have children so that when we raise them, we are raising more more people, more creations in his image to help save this world. So if we do what God has called us to do, it's a positive thing. But if we lead them in the wrong direction... We have struggled. And so now we see here the first family. I don't mean the 
the presidential family, I mean the literal first family, had to live with the cult, the struggle of sin. They had to provide food and clothing and shelter for themselves and their family. Cain and Abel, one pursued life of agriculture as a farmer and the other embraced the role of a shepherd. Both of those positions in that day were, were very significant traits because you had to do whatever you could to make a living. But here's, as you look in Genesis, we find the first of many things. We see the first marriage. We see the first instance of sexual relations. We see that Adam and Eve's intimate sexual relations provided the real illustration of the two becoming one. Not only in a physical sense, literal sense, but also in a spiritual sense. That's one thing that that today, and I guess for many years, but many generations don't understand, and I'm not going to go on a rant, but let me just say this and we'll move on. You're not, I didn't get paid extra to say this, but the truth of the matter is when it comes to intimacy, I know that people, even Christians, are all over the map on what is right, what is not right, what is allowed, or what not is allowed. I'm not getting into that, but I am telling you this. God created sexual intimacy between a man and a woman For the act of marriage, because when a man and a woman consummate their marriage through those relations, it is not only a physical binding, but it is a spiritual binding as well. My friends, whenever you have sexual intimacy with somebody, you're giving a piece of yourself away. There is a bonding that is taking place. And if it's done in the act of marriage, it strengthens you. The two become one. A powerhouse. But if it's not within marriage, and it's not as God designed, you are losing a piece of you every time. That's the way God created it. Also, we saw the first pregnancy. We saw the first birth. And then we will ultimately see the first murder. Look at verses 3 through 5. What is the motive behind your worship? Here we go. What is the motive behind your worship? It says in verse 3, When it was time for the harvest... Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs of his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gifts, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. He had his bottom lip poked out. He looked like a bullfrog. He was not happy. He was having a pity party where there was no food and no one showed up. He was upset. Now, as we read this, you may not understand this or you may not have made a connection, but let me help you connect this. And just a very few minutes ago, we collected an offering for the church. And look, I, okay, I see now. Preacher, I'm going to hold on to my wallet. I'm going to hold on to my purse. You're not, no, don't talk about tithing. i got to say it. Is that Cain and Abel were taught that they take their, whatever they make, and the first fruits, not what's left over, but what's on top, they give to the Lord. That's what tithing is. That is what we just did. Look, I don't look at tithing records. I told you. I mean it. I, I don't look at what, who gives what, but I do know this. And it's not about the amount, but it's about the heart given. Don't believe me? Look at God's word. Do you worship out of 
faith or obligation. What does that mean? Well, the scriptures does not say specifically why Cain's offering was rejected, which is probably for the best. Because if we knew why Cain's offering was rejected, then we would do everything except that one thing. But over the years, I've heard several interpretations of of why Cain's gift was dejected and why Abel's was taken. And and some people have said, well, it's because uh, Abel actually did a blood sacrifice and only blood can take away the forgiveness of sins. And and while that is true, Hebrews 9.22 says that there is without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But that is not the case in this situation. We see that Abel's offering was more of a sacrifice. You see, the best portions, it says that he used the best portions, including the fat of the animal, which was very prized back in that day. God says that it leaves a sweet aroma in his nostrils to hear that. I mean, to smell that, to smell that offering. The offering of Cain, no doubt, looked more pleasing. I mean, think about it. Abel's Offering was an animal that was cut up and it was blood. It was a mess. It was a mess. It looked, unfortunately, not to be graphic, but probably like some roadkill that you drove driven by in your life. It was, it was, it was, ugh. Cain's was, was grain and, and, and grain offerings were supported by the Bible and it was good, but it's almost like Abel, it wasn't about Abel, the, the fact that it was a blood sacrifice. It was because Abel gave out of faith sacrificially. Cain just kind of put some stuff together and offered it. You ever, I've told you before, I, I remember um, Odell Williams one, one time. We, he used to help keep records in the back. And, uh, and during Sunday school, people will put their tithe offering in and those that are in Sunday school. And so I just started a running joke with um, with Odell. I would say, okay, Odell, do we have tithes or tips this morning? And we'd get a kick out of it. I, I, I didn't mean anything by it. I was just kind of joking with him. And, and, you know, of course, they never told me who, what, and all that stuff. But it was just, it was a joke. But that's what this means here, folks. God knows when our giving is faithful and when it's not. Look, I understand we are not a money church. I don't expect to be like the churches on the other side of town. But I do know this is that it's not about the amount you give. If someone sitting beside you gives more than you can, God doesn't care about the amount. It's about the amount of the heart and how much faith you're putting into it. That's what separated Abel's gift from Cain's gift. That Abel gave the gift out of faith and Cain gave the gift out of obligation. I'm supposed to. Okay, God, here's your money and go on. You don't want to be in Cain's situation. Abel's offering was a symbol of what was to come. Here, the sacrifice was a lamb for a man. Later, Jesus would sacrifice himself as a lamb for your sin and mine. Then we see that the temptation to sin is greatest when we are emotional. Oh, you know that, don't you? The temptation to sin is greatest when we are emotional. Think about the dumbest things that you've done. And for some of you, that could be a long list. I've got one too. 
the dumbest things that you've done in your life. Usually, it's when you were emotional. It's usually when you weren't in control of your emotions. Maybe it was anger. Maybe it was heartbreak. Maybe it was grief. Maybe it was pride. But the thing is, the temptation to sin is greatest when we are emotional. Look, because it said just a moment ago that Cain was dejected. He was pooch-mouthed. He was upset. God didn't like mumbling. And here's the thing that, that we don't often realize. Cain was the firstborn. So in that culture, in that day, the firstborn had all the family rights. The firstborn was basically like the second in command to the father. I mean, that was a big deal. And so Cain was supposed to be the more responsible, approved child in the family. But yet his little brother was getting all the praise. Those of you that have brothers and sisters, you know with that kind of anger, don't you? It happens. It says in verse 6, God asked Cain, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? Do you think God is asking him this because he doesn't know? You ever heard of the term rhetorical question? God is asking Cain a question to an answer he already knows, but he does it anyway. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. So in verse 6 and 7, we see that Cain, God reminded Cain by asking him this. He's saying, Cain, you don't have to feel this way. You can think about this, but don't do what you're thinking. Don't entertain this line of thought. Because if you do, it will overcome you. And then it says here that if you don't subdue it, if you don't reign in the beast, if you don't control it, then it will overtake you. You ever felt like that? I have. There's times where I cannot get a thought out of my head. A bad thought. A bad emotion. Well, God, you just don't understand that person. Or God, you don't understand this situation. God, and just, God is saying, James, do you really want to go down this line of thought? God already knows the answer. But he's asking you today, if you are having trouble coming to grips with something, or someone. Maybe your biggest problem right now was with God Himself. It is that anger that is keeping you from the answer. Well, it says here that verse 8. One day Cain suggested to his brother, Ha ha, let's go out into the fields. Hey brother, let's go plow some stuff. Come out and help me. Leave, leave your shepherding to, to somebody else for a little bit and come out with me and let's go, let's go pick up some grain and pick some taters and shuck some peas and corn and all that kind of stuff like that at All Star Acres. We're just going to go out there. We're going to just kind of plow everything. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Now, Nobody would have ever thought when, when Mama, Mama Eve is looking at Cain and Abel, oh, they're so sweet, she's rocking them, she's feeding them, and they're a little bit, oh, they're so sweet, they love each other. Look, they look just like their father, and, and all, everything's so great. 
understanding that in one arm she's going to have a sacrifice son, and the other arm she's going to have is a murderer. We don't think about it. Folks, the prison systems are filled with people that never thought they would be in there. But in one act of rage, one act of passion, one act of anger, they did not subdue their thoughts, and they fed them. All right? So there's a lot of Cain that we can see around. Cain gave in to his anger and his pride. Cain's anger was rooted in his pride of being the firstborn and having his offering rejected by his little brother. Folks, listen to me. You must not let the wrong attitudes in your life go unchecked. If you have wrong attitudes that are not in accordance to God's word that are running in your brain, you better check them at the door. Because you know what? If you're not letting that go, I got these little reader glasses here. I got older and I had to to start using these readers. I can't stand them, but you got to do what you got to do, right? But when I put these readers on, I can see. Like this, I can't see. But the thing is, what does the work here are these lenses. These lenses are what magnifies all this stuff and makes it so this old man can read. My question to you is, What's on the lenses of your life? How do you see your life? What lenses are you looking through? Are you looking through the perfect, honorable, and wise part of God's Word? Or are you looking through your whole world through anger and hurt and resentment and pride? Everybody's out to get you. No one understands you. And you know what? It's just... This world stinks, and everybody else does too. I'm the one that knows what's right. Everybody else has got the problem. If that is you, my friend, you are in Cain's boat. And you are about to do something. Maybe not today, but in some point, you are about to make a decision you're not going to be able to come back from. It says here that you must not let the wrong attitudes go unchecked. Because they affect how you see the world around you and how others perceive you. There are some people I know when they're walking up to me, they're mad about something. Because they're always mad about something. If they ever came up to me with cheer and said, hey, I just want to say, hey, you know, I would die because they're always mad about something. And folks, you have people like that in your life. Don't be that person. And for the record, I want to talk about anybody here. So I know who he's talking about. No, I'm just saying in general. Because I've been that person too, folks. We've got to keep those things in check. But here's the thing. You can take this to the bank. I don't know if you're a note person or you're a text person, a tweet person, a TikTok person or whatever that is. Just jot this down, if you would, please. The most dangerous of decisions are made in anger when you are emotional. The most dangerous decisions that you're going to make are when you are emotional. Now look at this. Anger blinds us. Anger blinds us to the foolishness of our actions and the bad consequences that will follow. You ever went in and did something? You were mad about something? And then you go in and you just do scorched earth on everybody, especially your family, the ones that take all your mess. You get in, and then they say, oh, the reason we're upset is because 
your grandmother died. Or the reason we are upset is because your father or mother found out that they're sick. And then you're like, ooh, I came in hot over that. And you realize that you are blinded by the need of those around you. Folks, anger blinds us to the fullness of action. When I go back and I look at things that I've done when I was angry, I'm like, oh man, you are so dumb. What was I thinking? And the truth of the matter was, I wasn't thinking, I was angry. Red hair, short fuse, I live with it. I do my best, God gets the glory for that. But here's the thing. Cain resented his family. Instead of treasuring and loving his family, Cain resented his family and he resented God because his brother Abel was favored over him. Folks, sibling rivalry, comparison, all of these things will blind you to the fact that you may be the problem child for a season's life. There may be times when your family is not tracking where you're tracking. But the bottom line is, is that Adam, Eve, and Abel, they loved Cain. But Cain could not see it because of his anger. My friends, my friends, if you have family members that are angry and you love them and they don't see it, let me just assure you to keep loving them because even though they don't see it, the love is real. Maybe one day that they'll see it. Maybe one to just pray that God will get their hearts and wrestle it into him so that he can work in their lives. Because I'm telling you, when they're talking to you and they're acting out and they're doing all these things in anger, they know they love you, but they just can't see it because they are angry. They loved Cain. Maybe Cain was the one with the problem. He's the one that had the pride and the perspective wrong. Cain's jealousy boiled over into rage, which caused him to lose perspective. And this is when Cain made the irrational decision. If I could just, if I cannot match my brother, I will kill him. This little brother is no longer going to be a thorn in my side. I'm going to kill him. And biblically, I mean, Joseph's brothers, when he got the coat of many colors from his father, what did they do? They shipped them off to traitors. We'll just get rid of them. Again, the the prisons are filled with people that thought they were angry, and then they thought, you know what's better? This person just is not around. And then they did an act that they could not come back from. Anger blinded Cain to the fact that he could not hide murdering his brother. He could not hide that from God. Folks, anger makes you think poorly. Any emotion that is in excess makes you think poorly. Disregarding God's wisdom by being blinded to the negative consequences, acting out of anger. Folks, I'm going to just tell you from my life, and, and I don't know, you may be different than me, but when I allow sin to control my life, I'm in great danger of making decisions that will impact my family, my ministry, and my world in negative ways. And you will too. But let me just assure you of this one thing. And I want you to understand this completely. There is a brain in your head. Every one of you have a brain. You're here. You're breathing. That brain is working to tell your body to breathe. So beyond that, you know, that's up to you. We all have a brain. But there is a little man at a gate right there. 
And he, you know, like the crossing guard gate, he's at the gate and this is where all your thoughts go in. And only you can raise the gate and lower the gate. What am I trying to say here, folks? No one can make you angry. It's your choice. If you are angry, it's because you choose to be angry. Cain chose to be angry. Even though God said, Cain, if you don't get yourself right, if you don't change your way of thinking, you're going to do something you're not going to be able to come back from, and it's going to overtake you. I'm telling you, I know, I'm God. And Cain says, yeah, whatever. I'm holding on to my anger. No one can make you angry. It's your choice. Well, how do you stop that? You're not going to like this, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Choose forgiveness and pray for the offender. If you don't want to be angry at that situation, if Cain would have chosen to pray for his brother, if Cain would have chosen to forgive his brother, even though his brother didn't do anything, if, if Cain would have decided, you know what, God, you know better than I do, and show me why my gift is not as good, and I will work on that for next time. Because we saw in the scripture, God gave him the, the choice. He said, Cain, think about what you're doing before you go through with this on this offering. I'm going to give you a chance. Get it right. But he didn't. Uncontrolled anger. If you have uncontrolled anger, my friends, it is an alarm that is sounding, telling you to immediately go to God. My friends, if you're dwelling on anger, like I've been talking this whole time, and the hair on the back of your neck has been raised up because you're thinking about something you're angry about, you say, preacher, you just don't understand what I've been through. No, I don't, but God does. If you can't get rid of that anger, please, my friend, I'm begging you do so, because that is an alarm saying that you are out of control and immediately go to God. Because here's the thing that I've found out. If you're out of control in one area of your life, you're out of control in all areas of your life. Don't fool yourself into thinking, oh, I got this. This is my one thing. No. If you're out of control in one area, you're out of control in all areas. Maybe to different levels, but control is control. So learn from Cain today, folks. Change your thinking or live in regret for the rest of your life. And here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. I don't know of anybody in here that has murdered somebody. I hope you haven't. But Jesus took it one step further. If you go and you look in Matthew chapter 5. When you look at Matthew chapter 5, Jesus takes it one step further. In 522, he says, But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. And he goes on to say, if you're angry with somebody, it's no different than murdering them. So is it, well, it's okay to think of it, but not to do it. Not according to God. Not according to Jesus. Jesus says, if you even think about being so angry enough to kill somebody, then you have already done it in your heart. It's, the, Cain's biggest problem was not the action of murder. The biggest problem was his heart, because if his heart was right, he never would have followed through with what he did. And last section we look at, God gave Cain every chance to be honest with him. Every chance. Look at verses 9 through 16. Afterward, the Lord said, Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? <laughs> God knew the answer to these questions. He asked Cain because he wanted to give him the opportunity to confess his sin. And that is what God wants you to do, is to confess your sin. 
He says, I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's keeper? He was a smart aleck to God. He says, Who do you, what do I look like? I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm not his mama. Why are you asking me? Not my problem. <laughs> Sounds like a guilty person, doesn't it? But the Lord said in verse 10, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You, now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now, you will be homeless wanderer on the earth. Wow. So the curse that was given to Adam and Eve is now even intensified under their child, Cain. Cain replied to verse 13, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. And most of us will say, good. You deserve it. You killed your brother, but not God. Look at what God says. God replied, or Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too too severe. Look at what God says in verse 15. No, the Lord replied, no, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. The Bible doesn't say what that mark is. There are some people that try to make the, uh, uh, the, the correlation that the mark of the, the mark of Cain is a skin color and it is not that at all. Despite the, the speculation of many, no one knows what that is. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod of Eden. What, what does it mean when it says the blood of Abel cries from the ground? It means that God is speaking judgment for the death of Abel. He says, now you are cursed and banished from the ground. Again, Adam and Eve's curse is now amplified because of Cain's action. Then also we see that Cain's heart was still far from God. God gave Cain every chance to stop his thinking and ultimately even gave him a chance to confess his sin of killing his brother. But Cain wouldn't have it. Despite all of this, Cain didn't feel bad about his sin, only about his punishment. And that attitude of Cain did not stop because many people, maybe even you today, still have the attitude of Cain. I don't care, God. You don't understand what's happened to me. I don't care, God. You've given me every chance, but I'm just, I'm not going to bite it. I'm not going to take it. God, I understand, but no, I'm happy like I'm at. How can you be happy living in your anger? God says he didn't create you to be like that. So as we wrap up, the curse of sin didn't stay in the garden. It is still as strong today. So keep yourself in check, my Christian brother and sister. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the only way to get freedom from your anger, freedom from your emotions, freedom from your out-of-control lifestyle and unchecked thinking is to have the Holy Spirit of God in you interceding for you. And that only comes through accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. It happens immediately, folks. But it's got to be a decision. Just like Cain, it's got to be a decision that you make. The dangers of unchecked emotions. 
the importance of faith and righteous living. It reminds us to be mindful of our motives when worshiping God, to guard against pride and anger, and to seek forgiveness and reconciliation when it's necessary. Though we live in the curse of sin for now, I want to assure you, my friends, God's grace is greater. I'll leave you with this verse. There we go. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin may lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time together this morning. And dear Heavenly Father, it is my prayer if there is one person here that is dealing with anger, that dear Heavenly Father, they would give it to you. This may be their chance. This may be the day of their salvation. Or unfortunately, it may be the day of their judgment when they say, no, God, I'm good on on my own. But, Lord, they have an opportunity right now to, is there not a Christian, accept you as Savior and Lord and have that Holy Spirit intercede for them and change their thinking. Or there may be a believer here that just needs you to take control of their lives. If they want to come to this altar and pray, or if they want to come and accept you as their Savior and Lord, may they do that at this time. Or if they want to talk afterwards, whatever it may be, Lord, this time of decision is for you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.